it's time to raise the roof as apparently the New York Yankees suck now, question mark, because the Rays just swept them in the Bronx, which is the second time in two years that they've done it consecutive years now. Uh, spirits are high with the Rays, uh, how sweep it is for sure. Things are going well. We're back to 500, which is great. Uh, we're going to uh, Kansas City to go play the Royals, which we will be talking about soon. The Rays will be doing that. Uh, welcome to this newest episode of Raise the Roof. It is me and Evan today and our special guest who I will introduce in just a second. But Evan, uh, how are you feeling about that series sweep? Well, I mean, it seems like this season we, we go down and then we're like, we play the Yankees and then we get back right to 500. I don't, I mean, knock on wood with that stuff because I don't have we looked horrible. And in that Rangers series, we looked really, really bad. And the one game we won, we still looked bad. Luckily, luckily Glass now had one of the best starts of his career, I would yeah. argue. But that, I mean, that was a hell of a way to bounce back. Three straight um, in Yankee Stadium. I mean, I never thought we would play that well in Yankee Stadium in back to back years, given the fact that we ne- couldn't win a game there, let alone a series. Um, a series let alone a game there, but um, yeah, Waka Waka looked really good in his second straight start. Um, he had what nine strikeouts on Friday, I think. Yep. Um, went deep in the game, went six innings, I think. He looked really good. Glass now somehow, no idea how he got that win. He, I'm, I don't think he really deserved it. He did not look good in the first two innings, but he worked his way somehow, got through five, and he got the job done. Uh, then. We finished it off yesterday against Cole, and Cole pitched relatively well too. He got through, I think, seven innings, six and a six and two something, something like that. He had ten plus Ks, so he definitely and he pitched really well, and we just kind of squeaked out a win. So hopefully, we can continue the success against a pretty good Kansas City team so far. Mm-hmm. Kansas City, I think, is eight and five, nine and six, I think, nine and six, something something like that. But yeah, so they're doing pretty well. Good vibes. Yeah, it'll be it'll be cool to see if we can continue the success. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Well. Without further ado, let's introduce our special guest. Uh, you might know him better as Tampa Bay TB Baseball Market on Twitter, uh, Tampa, Tampa Bay Baseball Market. He is also the author of Curveball at the Crossroads, Michael Lortz. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, first off, how you doing? Uh, quick thoughts about the sweep. How you feeling? I'm feeling great. Things are good. Things are good here. No, I'm doing well, and the Rays are doing well, and, you know, it's, there's a lot to be happy about right now. So That is, that is 100% true. That is 100% true. Well, quickly, I wanted to talk first about the book. So, obviously, you just released the book. Tell us about it, what went into the story writing process, how all that went. and Sure, sure, sure. Um, as you guys might know, I've been writing in the Tampa Bay area for probably over 10 years, uh, doing a lot of freelance baseball writing and things like that. Um, my day job, I work with the government, uh, Adam McDill, and one year they sent me to Afghanistan for a year. And so I didn't have baseball, you know, I, occasionally, you know, you'd, you'd follow the game, but I wasn't watching, you know, I wasn't watching baseball uh, regularly in Afghanistan. So I ended up writing my own baseball story. And it's a story about a, a young kid who hurts his arm in his final high school game, goes down to the crossroads, makes a deal with the devil to try and get back into baseball and has his career progresses, the devil keeps showing up and saying, hey, you owe me until there's a final showdown at the end. You know, I don't want to give away the, the ending but, or anything, but, you know, you know, how some of these stories go with the crossroads and the devil, a little bit of paranormal there. So it ended up kind of being a baseball story with a paranormal twist to it. Awesome. Awesome. And um, when did you, yeah. so uh, how long did it take for you to write the book and when did you end up releasing it? So the book was started in 2012. Oh, wow. And yeah, a long time ago. 
Um, I put it aside. I went to grad school for a little while. I put it aside. I started new jobs and like life got in the way. And then when the pandemic hit, I said, well, there's no baseball. And I got laid off my job. So instead of, you know, going insane, I looked at this whiteboard I have of creative projects, you know, things I wanted to write, you know, things like that. And that was right up at the top. And I said, let me get this thing done. So I had some ideas that I wanted to do. And I really kind of finished the last five to 10% of it, like made the ending the way I wanted it, you know, set up some of the scenes the way I finally wanted it, rewrite it about five to 10 times, sent it to a publisher. He accepted it. We got it published in November. Um, but things have, you know, it's, it's slow, you know, for, for first time novelists, small publishers, small novelists, you know, it's so it's always helpful to be on podcasts. And, you know, um, I had an article in creative loafing. So I just, you know, trying to get the word out with baseball season definitely helps. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's been an interesting experience. This is not my full-time job. You know, writing is not my full-time job. So it's a fun, creative hobby that I hope I can sell some books and not just to make money, but also to share the story that I've been working on for the last eight years, you know, and, yeah, and definitely every time there's an Amazon review, I'm like, wow, somebody liked my book, you know, sure. They gave me a couple bucks, but they liked my book. And that's, that's the, that's the exciting part. Yeah, definitely. For sure. For sure. Well, uh, where can people, um, uh, find it? Where can, I mean, you, you just said Amazon is Amazon the only place or where else can people find the book? So right now it's on Amazon. Um, I'm actually working on a second edition to the book. So truth be told, we've had some distribution problems. Um, that's one of the reasons it hasn't, like I wasn't at Ferg's for opening day, which I really wanted to be. Mm -hmm. um, so we've been having some uh, some distribution problems. So I'm probably going to put out a second version of the book very soon. And that'll be on Amazon as well. Right now, the book is on Amazon, but it only says five copies left. So, but I will actually be at the Oxford Exchange in downtown Tampa with about 20 books. And then I should have about a hundred more soon. So I know this is a long story of where to find the book and I apologize. <laughs> no, you're all good, you're all good. Yeah, the Oxford Exchange, downtown Tampa, if you've ever been, it's just, and I'm one of the 30 that they're going to be, that's going to have a table, do some book signings, do, you know, talk about their book, things like that. So I'm super excited. It's the first public appearance I've had for my book, obviously pandemic, things like that. It's not a lot of uh, bookstores doing book signings, things like that. So I'm excited. It's to my knowledge, one of the first fictional baseball books that takes place in Tampa Bay. So another selling point, it's uh, the, the players uh, team is the St. Pete Saints. Okay. So I didn't want to use the Rays. I use the St. Pete Saints. So hey, hey, it, it works. there's it definitely works. a Florida vibe. Yeah, definitely a Florida vibe to the book. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, everyone, uh, if you uh, are are interested in reading it, make sure to and and we'll you know Mike Mike will obviously plug your uh, your socials at the end of this. But if you guys are interested, make sure to find the book on Amazon and yeah. all that stuff. Uh, but uh, let's talk more about this Yankees. Oh wait, oh wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, the, the, the website is curveballatthecrossroads.com. Okay, perfect, perfect. So you can so you guys can find it there as well, curveballatthecrossroads.com. All right, so let's talk so let's talk about this Yankee series. Holy crap, I did not expect them to sweep. That was it feels good, doesn't it? It feels great. I didn't I mean, we I on our last podcast we talked about the first two games. That glass now start freaked me out 
because I thought he was hurt. Obviously, it was only cramps, so it didn't end up being. It was. Yeah, I thought he was hurt too. I was like, something's up with him. Like he, what do you, what do you have? Like fifty three pitchers through two innings or something? Yeah, yeah. I think I think Bree said that um, BA was talking about something on the broadcast where it was just he, like he was basically going over what Glassnell was doing in terms of his release point, and his and his release point was messed up. So I think once he was able to actually correct that, then everything was all good. His his off speed just did not move. His off speed stayed up the whole time. The first two innings, I don't know. Yeah. It must have been something with the relief point because it was not working. Yeah, no, it was really weird. You're right. All right, so uh, so Michael, during that during that Saturday start with Glassdown Hall, that went when the incident happened in the fifth inning. What was your initial thoughts as to what was going on? Because I'm sure a lot of other race friends like, oh my god, no, not Glassdown. So. I ended up having to read about the game uh, after the game. I was on the road um, Saturday. I, uh, my brother is a pro wrestler. Oh, so wow. I, he had a match first time in about three years. He had a match. So I was driving back and forth and, and doing all sorts of stuff Saturday. So I actually missed the game. I, I read about it and, you know, I got to admire glass now toughing it his way through a start. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's the maturity of a young pitcher right there is being able to tough his way through starts. And especially against the Yankees, the Yankees team, it doesn't get bigger than that. Glass is, you know, one of my favorites now for sure. So yeah, I but was, yeah, yes. Uh, Saturday I was, uh, I was occupied. I was like, ah, what do I do? But, you know, supporting, supporting family in their athletic endeavors sometimes comes first. That is, that is a hundred percent true. That is a hundred percent true. Now I wanted to, I wanted to, kind of touch upon the things that happened not on the field or I guess kind of on the field, but more of in the stands. So that being the incident that happened on Friday oh, where, yeah. where Yankees fans threw baseballs and other objects on the field. And then obviously the video that uh, Amy uh, put out on her Twitter account about uh, Brett Phillips bowing to the Yankees fans after, uh, or to the, I think it was, yeah, it was left field uh, after the, uh, after Sunday's win, and obviously the uh, the words that came after that, which weren't great, but I yeah. it's for both of you, like the way that I think about Yankees fans, like I don't try to think about a team in like objectively a negative way, but it's really hard to not think about Yankees fans in a negative context because things like this keep happening. And I know it's only like a small subsection of people, but right. like, I mean, when you think about a game like that, you like, for that game, you're going to associate that incident with the entire crowd, not just the small amount of people that were there. It's an, you know, it's an isolated incident, but it's kind sure. of like everyone is, everyone is involved in it. So Mike, I want to start with you. What, what was your thoughts about kind of what happened over the weekend between, you know, like what happened with the Yankees fans? Sure. Well, I mean, New Yorkers always have an attitude anyway. You know, I, I think, it, I feel like it goes without saying that there's a New York attitude to fandom and things like that. You know, it's kind of like yelling and, you know, being loud is a New York trait. However, this is a fan base that has actually been really spoiled over since the mid-1990s. I mean, their worst record, I actually looked this up today, their worst record since 1993 is 84 and 78. So I, I feel like the um, the roosters are coming home. What's the uh, the phrase there? Coming home to roost? Like, yeah. The, 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 um, the front office has kind of been neglected. They're, you know, George is long gone. The Steinbrenner sons are not as invested in making World Series champions as they used to be. George Steinbrenner, I mean, that's what he lived and died World Championships. So I just don't think 
And the, the stint in the 90s when the Yankees were not very good, the Don Manningly days when they were a struggling franchise, George was actually out of base. He had conspired with gamblers and the, the commissioner had suspended him. When he got back into being the, you know, managing and, you know, or being part of the Yankees actively as an owner, that's when he hired Joe Torre, Brian Cashman, you know, and then they had Derek Jeter and Mariano Rivera and Bernie Williams. And then it was just, it was on from there. But ever since George Steinbrenner passed away, they have not been as invested in, they're kind of just like coasting on being the Yankees. And that's great for 90 wins, but it's not, and they've had some great seasons, but they're not as invested. They don't make the kind of transactions that like is win at all costs that George Steinbrenner used to allow his front office to do. And I just think the team has been slowly being neglected. I think they're, you know, you, you trade for Stanton, you got judge homers and strikeouts, you know, like they, they, they signed Cole, but are they really a good team? But yeah, I, I, I love the Rays Yankees rivalry. I, I, I think it's great. I think it's great for baseball. I, I really think it's great for baseball in Tampa Bay. Um, I like the fact that the Yankees are struggling because it gives the Rays a chance to move in on the Yankees market and move in on the Yankees fandom here in the area. And, uh, you know, like I said on Twitter today, I think that it's it's something that the Rays could in, just increase their marketing a little bit and maybe uh, start uh, start stealing some of the that, that Yankee presence out of Tampa Bay. And I think that would be a really good thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, Evan, what were your thoughts about the incidents that um, that happened over the weekend? Were you surprised by them at all? I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen that before. I don't know if I've ever seen fans throw baseballs on the field. I mean, I've seen them throw trash and whatnot, but I don't know about baseballs. I also don't know how many, how they got so many baseballs in the first place. I, I would like assume batting practice, or if not, they just had baseballs and they brought them in. Because I feel like there were a lot more than like two or three. There were like at least eight or nine, I feel like, on the field. And I mean, I, I thankfully no one got hurt. Like, I mean, if they hit someone in the outfield, that probably would have given him a nice bruise and I'm glad that no one got injured in the outfield it obviously wasn't a good look for the whole Yankees fandom especially the people at the stadium like you said Alex um it just gave him kind of a sore loser-ish kind of taste and and kind of entitlement it was like uh shoot like can't win we're just gonna be mad like mad like in a bad taste like that's not a good way to look when you're losing um but like like Mike you were saying like the Rays and Yankees rivalry is so good because they are two completely different teams. I think, I think the Yankees are the flashy high paid home run and like kind of star power team while the Rays take care of the little things that the Yankees don't do. And I mean, ultimately that's why the Rays won that series last weekend because the Yankees couldn't play defense to save their life. And the Rays do the little things. They get they move runners on base they get runners in when they're on third base they do they have great starting pitching so i i agree with that i love i love how this rivalry is kind of built over the last two years and it's even better because they're two different teams so that's pretty cool yeah absolutely absolutely yeah definitely 100 percent. so uh on top of all of this so obviously um well i do want to say fantastic clapback by brett phillips i thought that, that was, awesome. was great like and, and and the fact that Yankees fans are hating him is just, I mean, he's the most likable person in the world. I mean, like, I understand why, but it's just so dumb that, that you would want to hate on someone like him just because of just what kind of a person he is. 
And he, he's, I mean, he's a great person for the Rays. He's a great person for baseball, in my opinion. I only, I, I only hope the best for him. It was just, I mean, I don't know. People do what they want to do, and it is what it is. So now the Rays are back at 500. On top of that, now going into this series, uh, they're playing the Royals. They're in Kansas City. Uh, we already talked about how good the Royals have been. They're nine and five, actually. So I believe they are leading the American League Central. Yeah, they are leading the American okay. League Central right now. So they're playing really well. Probables for this um, for this four game series, I believe it's a four game. Se- no, it, no, it's a three game series. I apologize. Yeah. So tonight it's uh, Josh Fleming, who's um, I guess hopefully will continue to start um we'll, we'll stay in the starting rotation at least for the time being which i'm happy about uh against danny duffy uh, on tuesday the rays don't have a starter uh announced right now uh and mitch keller is the announced starter for the royals and same thing on wednesday with the rays no announced starter and the royals i believe it's josh junis is the i want to make sure i get his name right because if i don't then i'm going to be really angry with myself <laughs> Jacob Junis, I apologize. Jacob Junis is there, um, is Kansas City's announced starter on Wednesday. So I wanted to get both of your takes on this series. I don't want to spend too much time talking about this because we have a big thing to talk about after this. But what are you, what are both of you expecting from this uh, from this three game series out in Kansas City? Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess I'll start real quick. If, if the Rays can roll off the momentum in New York and take two out of three in Kansas City, I mean, that's 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 great. You know, that's that's awesome. Uh, Fleming, you know, he, he's a you know young starter, and you know if he can pick up keep his momentum going, that's that's even better. You know, that's that's awesome. I'm I'm excited. I'm definitely excited for it. You know, like I, I think there's there's a lot of momentum when you sweep the Yankees, no matter 100%. what 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 month of the year it is. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I agree. And um, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing Waka after he his Friday performance. Uh, that's ESPN says it's Waka on Wednesday. Um, oh, okay, that's, that's correct. Do do I'm they not, have a starter for Tuesday or no? They say it's uh, Rich Hill too. But, oh, okay. I mean, I'll take that. It might change, but we'll take that for now. Um, yeah, uh, Fleming looked pretty. I mean, I think he got the loss on um. I, yeah, I think he got the loss, but he was consistent. He had, um, I think he only gave up one run in five plus innings because yeah. he pitched into the sixth. He looked good on yeah. the sixth. Our offense didn't not that series, but that's whatever. That's in the past. Um, hopefully, Fleming can continue that tonight. I'm excited to see, like Michael said, how we kind of roll off sweeping the um, sweeping the Yankees. Um, Kansas City is a place that we don't typically play well. I feel like um especially overall i think we're 87 80 all time against them i could be wrong it could be 80 and 87 but i think that's what i saw is that at kansas city or is that i think that i think that's all time okay um i just remember being like when the when the royals were really good we just could not win a game there um yeah so it's a weird maybe just an unusual place to play i hope we can kind of at least take two or three you can't ask for much more than a series win so i'm excited to see how we do it Yeah, I'm hoping for very much the same uh, in that case. And we'll see what happens. Obviously, first game is tonight. Uh, I believe first pitch is at 810 because it's central time. So it's an hour uh, behind. So it'd be 710, 810 hour pushback. So we'll, we'll see what happens in the series. But the big thing I wanted to talk about in this episode, which is the reason why we have Michael on, is to talk about the current, you guys know it as the stadium saga, but the current thing that's going on with the future of the Rays in Tampa Bay, in or in the Tampa Bay area, whether that be Tampa proper, St. Pete, or whatever the hell is going on with that Montreal split city thing that literally none of us want because it's just the stupidest idea ever logistically in every way, but uh Michael, to start to, to start us off talking about this, 
when so i know that the origins in terms of the rays hopefully trying to get a new stadium started with that uh i think it was that like water side uh stadium that they had with the canopy uh in i think it was 2009 that they had that from there and then obviously that plan got canceled how has it kind of evolved from there into what we really know it as right now oh my goodness so you're talking about let's see 2009 you're talking about what 12 years of of history that's and just under the Stu sternberg yeah um ownership it's, it's a lot <laughs> yeah so the um the St. Pete Alwang Stadium renovation, you know, Alwang at the, at the time Alwang Alwang Stadium was just was the baseball field. The the Rowdies actually played at Steinberger Field, if I'm not mistaken. They when they came back as a soccer team, they they played at um they played at Steinberger Field, and the Rays were like, hey, why don't we turn Alwang Field, which they had just left in spring training, into a major league park, and they created this idea with the with this sail going over the top and it looked pretty cool. But if you've ever been to downtown St. Pete, there's not much parking and it's pretty congested in that area. Um, it would have been beautiful right on the water, but you can't fit a 30,000, 25,000 person stadium in that area. It would have been really tight. Parking would have been really, really tight. And so just like, nah, you know what? And then they, the Rowdies got bought or um, the Rowdies moved in, in there and now it's a soccer field, you know, or a soccer pitch. To, to, I guess use the right terminology on one, you know, um, and then the Rays bought the Rowdies. So I, I'm, I, maybe it goes full circle. I'm not sure. But right now it's it's conditioned to be a soccer field. So and it looks really nice. So I still haven't called a Rowdies game. I do need to do that. But I heard it's a really fun experience there, you know, from a, for, for an ex-baseball field. It's yeah. turned into a really nice soccer field. So from there, um, I think the next big mon- milestone was – when uh, Mayor Christman was elected on the, uh, <clears throat> and on his platform, he said, I'm going to re-engage the rate because the previous mayor before Mayor Christman was like, nope, if you're thinking about leaving St. Pete, we don't want to talk to you. We don't care. Like, you're not going to bring any ideas to the table that we want to hear if it's leaving St. Pete. And the Rays are like, well, we want to see Tampa and we want to explore the whole area. Mayor Christman got elected. It was one of his things that he said, sure, I'll let the Rays look at Hillsborough as well, but that's it. You're limited to Hillsborough or Pinellas. Then after three years of that, the Rays came up with the Ebor plan, which looked nice on paper, but cost nearly a billion dollars. Hillsborough County doesn't have the money. Pinellas does have money. Um, and the Rays were like, oh, if you pay this much money, we'll chip in some. And basically Hillsborough was like, all right, how much? And the Rays could never sell, could never really be clear on how much they wanted to chip in to this new stadium. I think Hillsborough was expecting half and the Rays were starting at 10%. And so it was a huge gap between what the Rays were considering to put into it and what Hillsborough County was expecting them to put into it before any other negotiations were started. There was also some real estate issues where one of the county commissioners was um, pulling in one of his real estate buddies that, hey, there might be a stadium here, so buy all the land. The FBI was involved for some reason, and it was just, it did not get off to a very good start. And I think a lot of the taxpayers in Hillsborough County, especially in Tampa proper, were like, you want how much for this stadium? Like, no. And, and on top of that, you were jamming it into a spot in Ybor City that traffic would have been nuts. Um, you have a lot of construction there already. There's, there is more parking than downtown St. Pete, but not a lot. The ingress and Express or whatever the opposite of ingress would be is was very very difficult and I don't think I, it felt like a very empty gesture like the Rays got this really cool idea but it, it just didn't feel like it had 
much teeth to it. Like, it was like, cool, pretty idea, but you're not really serious about this, are you? And then that kind of brought us to, you know, the, the current issue now is that Mayor Kreisman wants to redevelop the land where the trop is. So the bottom line is that Tropicana Field was built in a, you know, it's, it's, it's not a very good place for a baseball field. It, it's really not. And they had to demolish a historically black neighborhood in order to build Tropicana Field in, in the 80s because the land was cheap. And developers at the time was like, hey, let's put a baseball field here. Maybe we'll get a team. Obviously, they, they were successful in that. But they really destroyed um, an area of a black neighborhood in St. Pete that now with the mayor saying, hey, we want to rebuild. we got Central Avenue that goes all the way. You know, it's, it's a lot of small businesses started with the breweries, started with the restaurants. And now you're starting to see a lot of businesses building throughout downtown St. Pete. This is 80 plus acres of land that the mayor's like, hey, we can really do something great with this land if you're not going to stay here. And the Rays are pretty adamant that Tropicana Field's not a great location, but they're not seeding the land because they get redevelopment rights. So the Rays get some of the money for redevelopment, so they don't want to leave, but yet they want to leave because they don't think it's a very good location. So, But they're just really just holding up development in a very key part of St. Pete, mm. which is it, it's driving everyone nuts right now. Like the mayor's frustrated. The mayor, um, what he, uh, I think recently he went and got a few redevelopment plans. So there's four or five redevelopment plans. I think if you Google St. Pete Trop redevelopment, you'll see a bunch of uh, different um, kind of idea proposals with yeah. or without baseball in the area. And the mayor did that without city council's approval, or the mayor wants to pick one of these plans without city council really being involved. So city council was like, hey, no, we're city council. We need to be involved in this. Mayor's like, really, you don't, but I'll amuse you. So, but then the mayor can't approve anything without city council's approval. So the mayor could pick this, from what I understand, the mayor can pick the redeveloper, but he can't get the approval for the redevelopment to begin without city council. So city council is kind of just like, hey, we want to be we want to be able to pick the developer as well. So that was the whole dog and pony show last week when they had the Rays come in and repitch the sister city idea to St. Pete City Council and city council kind of bought into it, which was blew me away. I was shocked. Absolutely shocked that city council would actually entertain the sister city idea. And one of them said, oh, we could get this great synergy with Montreal, which is absolutely false, absolutely unprovable. So. I ended up writing a letter to all the city council people. I just found all their email addresses, sent them this email um, saying who I was, the study I've done, you know, my website, blog, all that stuff. And um, said, hey, here's me. And you're about to approve a really bad idea. If you approve this city, sister city thing. So I did that letter, put it on Twitter and it got like 500 something likes or 400 something likes. I was pretty happy for a, uh, for an actual text tweet. That's quite a lot. Yeah. So and that kind of brings us to where we are today. The sister city thing is still alive. The Ebor city idea is dead. Um, the Rays still want to go and split time with Montreal. And city council now thinks it might be a good idea. The mayor's against it. And pretty much the entire fan base is. Yeah. So. No. I wanted to ask something going back. So I like, I want to talk about the redevelopment stuff and obviously new, you know, new developments that happened. The, um, uh, the Selmet extension, we're going to talk about that in just a second, oh, yeah. but I wanted to talk specifically about in terms of the money, um, uh, the money with this situation. So the way that I think about how the trop stadium thing has currently gone and, and, you know, the possibility of building a new stadium, I don't know if this is something that's like actually legitimate, 
but I feel like Marlins Park, how all of that went down, how Jeffrey Luria was able to basically swindle $500 million out of Miami and Miami-Dade County, and they only pay they paid for like five-sixths of the stadium. The Marlins only paid for that. I feel like that has played a big role into what is currently going on with trying to get a new stadium because Stu Sternberg is very much the same way in terms of money and being stingy. He, I feel like he's very much the same way in terms of, and, and, you, and you talked about that um, uh, just a bit ago in terms of how much money that the Rays were actually going to put into the plans, but how much has what happened with Marlins Park, how much has that resonated with um, residents of both Hillsborough and Pinellas County and how much has that kind of pushed them away from the idea of building a stadium with, with public taxpayer funds? I think it's huge. Um, and I don't, and even if it's indirectly, even if a taxpayer has never heard of Marlins Park or, or heard of the situation, I feel like there is a general consensus that no sports teams and sports owners do, should not get a billion dollar gift from cities, especially, you know, especially when economies aren't great, you know, COVID and everybody's losing their job, you know, or lost their job and struggled last year. We don't have the money, like public, you know, Public areas do not have the money. Cities, metropolises do not have the money to be giving to sports billion dollar sports owners. You know, and you know, you could say that the Rays are worth a billion dollars, and sure, the Rays aren't going to get a loan on their entire franchise value to pay for a stadium. That's not how banks work. Yeah, but so, so I understand that. But at the same time, Stu Sternberg still has hundreds of millions of dollars. His ownership group still has hundreds of millions of dollars, they can get the loan on themselves. Maybe the Rays themselves aren't, isn't collateral. I think that's what happened in Arizona. They put the team up for collateral in paying for the stadium. And there was a big, big mess in Arizona with, I think it's Chase Field, I think, and yeah. the Diamondbacks. They almost went out of business. But there is a consensus now. And the legislature is also really against, the, um, the state legislature is really against giving sports owners billions of dollars for, or billion dollars for stadium. Jeffrey Loria left a really sour taste in the mouth of, from legislatures all the way down to citizens, all the way down, you know, to everybody involved. The Marlins Park was a, an absolute disaster for Stu Sternberg. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So going off that, going now to the Ybor City plan, which has now obviously been nixed, do you think that, and I know, I think it was like $842 million was the price tag on it, some, something around that area. Do you think that he, that um, Sternberg and I guess the people that were helping to create the stadium plans, do you think that they purposely tried to make the stadium as expensive as possible to use it as leverage for, you know, something in the future, like maybe a split city, you know, plan like what they were doing, basically crying wolf and saying, well, we put out a stadium plan, the taxpayers don't want to pay for it. So why should we stay in this area if they don't care about baseball? No, I mean, it's a really good point. That is a really good point. Um, you know, you need a roof. Obviously, Tampa Bay rains. So, you, you know, that's a $250 million, I think, accessory onto the stadium. So if you're looking at a $500, uh, $500 million stadium, now you're looking at seven hundred and fifty. And the Rays, like you said, it was in the $800 million range. So you're looking at, all right, if a basic stadium is 500 million, the roof is 250, the Rays threw on another 100 million because why not? But I do think that it, the effect was the exactly the same. You know, um, I don't know how many bells and whistles they put into that, that they couldn't, maybe 100 million's worth. You know, I don't think it was way over the top. It wasn't like a $1.2 billion Jerry Jones Dallas Cowboys stadium. 
but you know it was an extravagant stadium especially for a region that doesn't really have that kind of money and so yeah i do think that you know now sternberg is like oh i want to build two 500 million dollar stadiums one in tampa bay and one in montreal and well no like that's that's a dumb idea as well like you know it just doesn't make much sense to me like his their their logic on building stadiums just doesn't make sense to me and now you're looking at where are you going to put it right now you know like there's there, he's running out of space that ebor area is going to get redeveloped it's probably it's something else there's you know um he lost out on some other areas and you know he's, he's running out of places to put the team so but yeah i don't think he i don't think he went way over the top but he they did uh, probably a good 10% or so over the top. And yeah, he could probably just say, look, if you, this was my idea, if you don't want it, then I'm going to leave. And, but I, I don't think Montreal is in, is in financial shape to give him an $800 million stadium either. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know what the, what the um, uh, financials of the Montreal metropolitan area are, but I don't think that they're in that kind of shape either. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so uh, obviously all of this stuff is going on, you know, craziness is, is, is continuing to happen more and more with this situation. Obviously now we have that now, now we have those redevelopment site plans of which none of the stadiums that are included have roofs, which doesn't make any sense because you got like Michael, like you just said, you gotta have a roof in Florida. It just oh, yeah. makes sense. Even though it's probably going, you know, it's a lot of money to put on a roof, regardless of that fact, you, you, you still have to have some sort of a roof on a stadium. Sure. Uh, so do you think that any of those redevelopment plans will actually, you know, manifest into something? Like, is there is there a real possibility that that TROP site, that those 80 acres could be redeveloped with a new stadium put in? Or is the or is the likelihood of that just not high? So it's going to turn into something. I mean, it's 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 a given, you know, that that land's going to be something eventually. Whether the Rays, so I think Mayor Christman wants to get it done before the election, before the next mayoral election, and I think that's next year. Mm -hmm. So that's why he's kind of pushing the issue with the city council. And the city council said, no, we want to circle back and you know do all this other research and everything like that. Because Mayor Christman wants to say, hey, this is the thing I did during my administration. Um, and, and that makes sense on, on his half. But, you know, it really boils down to the Rays could say, no, we're not. We're, nothing's going to happen on this site till 2028 and we're going to leave and we want all because the, they get all that money from the redevelopment if they're still there. So if they go to Montreal in 2028 or Nashville or Wisconsin or wherever, they don't get that redevelopment money. And then the next mayor or maybe it's two mayors from Mayor Kreisman would get the credit for redeveloping that area. They would get a new developer in. And, and do it. So it's really at us. It's like everybody's sitting at the starting line and nobody can go anywhere. So I think, you know, 10 years from now, yeah, sure. That, that land will be something, whether there'll be a baseball field there. I not sure. Um, I'd like to think maybe um, I'd like to think the Rays will obviously be somewhere in the Tampa Bay area. You know, I, I've been rooting for this team since 2006, since I moved to the Tampa Bay area. So I'd like 15, I'd like my 15 years of emotional investment to pay off. Mm. I'd like that to continue. You know, I'd like to, you know, bring my kids and every, you know, everything like that. I'd like to have generations of fans here in Tampa Bay, but that area will turn into something that 80 acres will be something eventually. There's too many people clamoring that it's too valuable of a plot right now with what's left that has not been redeveloped in the Tampa Bay area to not put something there. 
Mm-hmm. And Stu Sternberg knows that, and Mayor Kreisman knows that, and that's kind of why we're in the stalemate that we're in. Yeah. Do you think that there's ever going to be a possibility that be, because I know, like thinking about this, obviously when the trap was built, they tried to attract both the White Sox and Giants who didn't end up coming. Then the Lightning used it, and in that time of the Lightning using it. Obviously, in 95, the Rays became a team. But before then, that's when the plans were announced for Steinbrenner Field now in that area that's right next to Raymond James. Is there any possibility in the future? I don't like I would think that this would be like slim to none that the Rays would ever find a way to take that land. Or, or <laughs> it like, like, is that not physically possible because the Yankees just wouldn't want to give it up at all just because of they already have the footprint there? Like, like, is there any possibility? Because I, I, I feel like in terms of sites in the Tampa area, if so many of them are, you know, going away, that's technically a site. I mean, I don't, I don't know, like how you would find a way to then repurpose it and then put, you know, like a bigger stadium in, but I feel like there's a possibility that that could happen in some way. It just seems really, really low. So if I had a magic wand, I would move the Rays to Steinbrenner Field. I'd redevelop Steinbrenner Field and everything like that. And I would move the Yankees to the Trop site or somewhere else in St. Pete where they started with in the Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig days, the the Yankees trained in St. Pete. Um, And then they moved to Fort Lauderdale for like 30 years and then Tampa. Um, And they've been in Tampa, like you said, since the mid nineties. If I had a magic wand, I'd do that stadium swap in a heartbeat because Spring training doesn't rely on a centralized population. You could put a team out in the middle of nowhere. Tourists are still going to go there, like Port Charlotte, or you know, like Port Charlotte. The stadium's in the middle of nowhere. Port St. Lucie with the Mets was in the middle of nowhere when they first moved down. You know, it's, so like a, a spring training stadium does not need to be in the center of of a city. You know, Steinbrenner Field is in a great location. Now, the odds of that happening are probably microscopic, if any. Like, there's no way that the Rays, if if it does happen, the Rays would have to cough up a ton of money because they would have to buy the land, buy the stadium. They would probably have to break the bank, paying the Yankees, and then the cost of redeveloping to make Steinbrenner Field from a 10,000-person minor league field to a 30,000 with a roof for another $250 million. It's almost easier to just level some warehouses somewhere and just build a new baseball stadium, you know, build a brand-new stadium from scratch. Um, although they did a bunch of renovations on Steinbrenner Field, I think, two or three years ago, and the Tampa Sports Authority approved them $40 million of renovations, which were entirely uncalled for. So the Yankees lease at Steinbrenner Field was supposed to expire in 2027, which is perfect timing if the Rays were going to move out of St. Pete. But however, two or three years ago, the um, city of city of city of Tampa and the Tampa Sports Authority approved like a 15 year extension on the Yankees. So the Yankees will be in that location until 2042. Now, why you extend minor league teams and spring training teams when you have an unsettled major league team in your area is beyond me. I have no idea why they did that. And I wrote plenty of different editorial type articles being like, this is just stupid. I don't understand. I don't understand why you're doing this, but that's the corner that the region has kind of painted themselves in with the Rays. And I don't think the Yankees would ever sell that property. As a matter of fact, if the Rays moved to Tampa, they moved to that Ebor site, they would have to pay the Tampa Yankees or the Tampa Tarpons now lost revenue because they're within a 15 mile radius of the, of, another team they would pay the yankees for so if you're a ticket 
So I only live like, so personally, I only live like three miles from Steinbrenner Field. Mm-hmm. The Rays moved to Ebor, they would be 10 minutes from me. So kind of in between Ebor and Steinbrenner Field, Raymond James area. So I would, on a, on a Tuesday night or a Monday night, I would say, wait, which team do I want to go see? If I would go see the Rays and not choose the Tampa Tarpons, I'm taking money, potential money from the Tampa Tarpons, pretty much, you know, basic economics. The Rays would have to pay the Yankees and the Tampa Tarpons for lost revenue under like rule 52 or some some major league baseball territorial rule. So I'm curious if the Rays move within 15, 15 miles of Steinbrenner Field, what will the Yankees charge the Rays for being in, in their um, territory? That would be so. That would be really, really interesting. Yeah, that would be. That would be insane. Now, I, yeah. I have – oh, wait, Evan, did you have something? No. I was just okay. So, I have two more things. The first thing I want to talk about was that was the Selman extension, which obviously opened up today. And I think that's been something that's been, you know, under construction for a while. Now, people have been waiting for it in the area. And now that it's opened, uh, I think – I don't, you know, I, I'm hoping it'll end up being a good thing, but what does the opening of that mean for possibly getting more fans to the trot uh, for games because of the, you know, hopefully that will help alleviate traffic in some way. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, I used to live in an apartment that was right by the Katy Bridge. And there's certain intersections where you're waiting three and four lights. So we've already alleviated traffic in the south. What it does is it allows in, in the um, eastern suburbs, the Brandon Valrico area, once they get to that crosstown, once the people in downtown Tampa get onto that crosstown, they go straight over Tampa on, on an expressway, the, the Gandhi extension, or the Gandhi high rise on the St. Pete side. And that brings them all the way to 275. And then from there, it's like a 15-minute south on 275 track, and you're at Tropicana Field. It's, so it, there's no lights. There will be no lights for downtown Tampa to, to Tropicana Field, and it'll be all highway driving, which is amazing. Like, that's fantastic. Um, you know, because now you've got to traverse your way through South Tampa. You, you know, you've got to, there's too many lights and too many intersections that are just clogged up with people getting out of work. Now you just right on the intersection or right on the turnpike and you're, or the expressway and you're there. And then from the folks in the Eastern suburbs, like I said, they just jump on that expressway in Brandon and they can go straight to 275 in South in, in St. Pete and be at Tropicana Field in like, you know, oh, half the time. So it's, it's a huge gain. I don't think it's going to double attendance. I don't think it's going to, you know, sell out Tropicana Field, but it does make a lot of people's commute a lot easier. You know, it'd be great if the Rays, like, rented a bus or something and, you know, just maybe brought a bus down to, down to downtown Tampa and say, hey, everybody get on the Rays bus where, you know, uh, tickets available here, you know, it's, you know, hey, buy your ticket, get on the bus, and we'll drive you there. You know, or something like that. And, you know, I don't know what, how much the Razor want to spend on commute, but uh, but I think that would be really cool too. Or some kind of taxi service, or you know, um, years ago, some taxi service tried to do that and just get on a bus. We're gonna rent a party bus. So I think it, it enables people to do to tr- 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 it enables people to travel to the Tropicana Field so much easier now especially from downtown Tampa and the Eastern suburbs. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, from, so super from, excited. Yeah. Yeah. From what I've heard, it definitely seems like it's supposed to hopefully alleviate traffic. Um, 
And, you know, if everything works well, it'll, it'll alleviate traffic and fans will be able to get the games quicker. But then that leads me to my last thing, which is what is the future in terms of the Rays in the Tampa Bay area? I know that's a very loaded question and obviously no one really knows the answer to it, but what are your, I guess, hopes and expectations for what is going to persist through these next couple of years up until that Trop lease ends in 2027? So my first hope is that the sister city idea is burned and thrown out in the garbage, never heard from again. You know, I hope, I hope we never hear that phrase again. Um, so that's my first hope. My first hope is that the race stay in the Tampa Bay area or, you know, ideally, and, and don't, don't have to share. We don't have to share a baseball team with anybody else. That's just, it's just ridiculous. It's a ridiculous idea. So that's my first hope. My second hope is that, you know what, if the Trump site's not going to work and it's too far away from population, which it is. And even if a million more people move within 20, 30 minutes of, of the trop, it'd still be one towards the bottom in population radius surrounding a baseball stadium. They need about a million people within 15 minutes for that to be an average population density around a baseball stadium. I would like to see the Gandy dog track talked about a lot more. I know there's some ecological problems, I think, um, that a uh, major league baseball stadium is, I think, heavier on the, the soil than a dog track. And then, you know, the stands would be a lot higher and, and you'd have much more weight on an area that is not, is a little bit more ecologically fragile than like downtown St. Peter, downtown Tampa. But I'd love to see the dog track talked about a lot more as a viable option. Dog racing goes away in Florida. If not, if it hasn't gone away already, there was legislation passed that dog racing will no longer be a thing in Florida. So we're going to have a dog track. It's going to be used for nothing but casino games. And that's a huge area, a big lot for just casino gambling you know um so i'd like to see that uh, that um worked on a lot more or that mentioned a lot more and i think that some an extension can drop off right there at the dog track at the gandy dog track i think it's i think it's the best location for a baseball stadium that we have left so i'd like to see that i'd like to see sternberg be and, and this is this will never happen but i'd like to see him be a little bit more fan friendly I'd like to see him acknowledge the fan base, you know, acknowledge the fans and, and just say things like, we have the best fans in baseball. Even if you don't, say it anyway. You know, I've been asking him to say that for like 10 years, you know, like, tell Rays fans that they're the best fans in baseball, you know, the most loyal and, you know, through everything you're, you're putting them through, they're absolutely the most loyal fans in baseball because we might lose a team in five years. You know, no other franchise can say that, but we still talk about each series. You know, we talk about each each season we get excited, you know, it's, 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 it's tough to think about the future, but root for the present, you know, and that's what Rays fans have had to do since, you know, for the last 10 years. Um, and we get excited, you know, and, and, and it really does hurt us that, you know, and I guess this falls into my, my, my future hopes is that by the end of this season, we get enough people um, vaccinated and we get some of these um, percentages of COVID down low enough that we can get a sellout at Tropicana Field by the end of the year. I think that would be fantastic to show people that we're supporting this team 100%, you know, to get some playoff games where we got sold out Tropicana Field and, you know, it gets loud in there and to just get that vibe, you know, the players feed off that vibe and to just get Tropicana Field loud again by the end of this season is probably my my short-term wish. My long-term wish is that they stay in the area for, for forever. My short-term wish, though, is that we get enough people to have a 30 or enough people vaccinated, healthy in Pinellas and Tampa and Hillsboro that we could have a full house for, by the playoffs. 
That would be oh yeah. That would be incredible. I really hope it happens, and I hope that COVID, you know, becomes less and less of a problem, and hopefully more people will get vaccinated and all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, I know that we're all we're all very we're like chomping at the bit to try to figure out well what the hell is going to happen next in this thing, and none of us really know what's going to happen next because things seem to be going every which way but michael thank you so much for coming on talking to us about this talking to us about your book again that's um uh, your uh your uh, your website again every everywhere that people can find you just one last time curveball curveball at the crossroads.com and i will be like i said i'll be at the oxford exchange bookstore downtown tampa on thursday night from six to nine um i hope as the season progresses, I'll be at either at Berg's. I already got a good rapport with them, selling books. Uh, maybe at one of some of the minor league stadiums. You know, I, I, you'll definitely hear about it more often. You know, especially once I get some of this distribution stuff out of the way. Mm. We'll definitely, uh, we'll definitely talk. Um, I hope to be on again. You know, maybe throughout the season, and uh, I'll let you know how the book is doing. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you know. Like I said, curveball at the crossroads, and I'll, I'll be pitching it on Twitter. It's TB Baseball MKT on Twitter. And, um, you know, appreciate you guys having me on. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah, Michael, thank you, Michael. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. You gave us a lot of insight and um, everyone listening. Uh, I'm, I'm sure very much appreciates trying to figure out what the hell is going on with this stadium thing, because I think the more clarity that we can have on the issue, I think that's going to make a lot of people's lives a lot easier in terms of just trying to figure out what's going on. But Michael, again, thank you so much for coming on and, and talking to us about your book and about the, the chop. And for everyone listening, thank you so much for tuning into this newest episode of Raise the Roof. We really, really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to us. Uh, if you guys aren't following us on all of our social media accounts, we're at Raise the Roof TV basically everywhere. So that's uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and our Twitch account, our YouTube channel is raise the roof and our website is raised roof tv.com if you guys have any comments questions and concerns anything like that about us just make sure to uh email us at our gmail account which is uh raise the roof tv at gmail.com and as for this podcast wherever you guys are listening to it right now this is i mean this is where we are you you, you found us you've done a good job here so we are on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, all that good stuff make sure to subscribe make sure to share this uh leave us a review all that good stuff so from all of us stay safe stay healthy please wear a mask and raise up raise up baby